This is No Training Wheels, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. It's been a couple of weeks out on the road, racing in as far-flung locations as Westchester, Pennsylvania, or Scranton, all the way to St. Louis. And it's great to be home. It's great to be back at the No Training Wheels headquarters, but it was also great to be back because I got an opportunity to invite myself over to the Crosshairs LLC recording studio in Northeast Washington, D.C., so I can have a sit-down with Bill Scheichen. Now, for those of you who are avid listeners of podcasts and good quality cyclocross content or mountain bike content, you'll probably know exactly who Bill Scheichen is. For those of you that aren't, there's a lot of resources in the notes on the show about who he is, what he's done, and kind of the spirit by which he lives by when it comes to being a member of the cycling media. Bill is one of those people who's influenced me and he's influenced a lot of other people to get involved and create a voice for yourself within the cycling community. This brings us to chapter one of this episode. Chapter one, creation. When you listen to Bill's show, Cyclocross Radio, or any of the other shows on the Wide Angle Podium Network, you get a sense that the point is not just to inform, but also to create a concept or a feeling of society or community. And that's exactly the feeling that so many of us have sought out in becoming bike racers, the idea of belonging to something larger than yourself. It's easy to see where Bill and his show is now. But figuring out how he got there, that's an adventure in itself. I'm Bill Shaken. You have a media empire that you have built, the CX Hairs Media Empire. It's photography, it's video, it's podcasting, it's books and t-shirts. How did you become this media mogul? There are two words that you have used. Empire and mogul. It's your left as a filing cabinet. I'm sure there are bank statements in there. If you were to see them, you would see that both of those are far off the mark as far as empire and mogul go. Well, I mean, this is the nicest basement that I've seen in this part of Washington, D.C. Well, the, the CX Airs LLC uh, uh, income did not pay for this basement. Oh, it must be coming from the Svennis t-shirts. That's possible. Svennis t-shirts actually did pretty well. I will say, in, in all seriousness, that most of what you see for building out this this studio down here is is from starting cx hairs 10 years ago from you know being able to have a podcast network that actually does make some money to being able to go and you know be a photographer and videographer and then yeah make 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 some sort of an income it is you know a joking aside it is a second full-time job what i've kind of built this into I'm starting to realize that on my own part about how much work it takes just to identify people, prepare an interview, then go ahead and edit the work. Whenever I listen to another podcast, they're like, well, you need to spend more time editing. And I was like, there's no way. I don't need to spend a lot of time editing. And now I realize I really do spend a lot more time just post-production, getting everything ready, making sure all the hashtags are right or all the at signs are right. There's a lot more that goes to this than just talking. Yeah, but at the beginning of it, that's what drives it, though. You have to be good at talking, which, which you are. And then the other part of it, at least for me, that you know is kind of fun getting to show you how I do my podcast is making it sound good, which, which you, you do as well. I think those two things, one, having the substance in there and two, having it something that people enjoy listening to, that's going to get you a lot farther than, than hashtags. 
why start this? Why 10 years ago start something like CX Hairs? Is it for the adventure, for the travel, for the fun? I had no idea I was going to be doing any of that. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, if, if you, if you knew me in 2009, it started with cyclocross and it was basically sticking a, even before GoPros, uh, they were, they were contour, contour HD cameras. And I stuck one onto the top of my helmet and at six foot five, I had this really cool view at the, of the middle of the pack of the, you know, men's, uh, B races, uh, which is the category we used to have in cyclocross before they went to numbers. And I, I videotaped them and I put music to it and I put it on online and it sounds sort of quaint now but at that time not many people were doing that so it was sort of this thing that people actually watched and from there I would start taking photos at races I'd start interviewing people just because I was curious it was it was mainly uh, a a how can I get better at doing this so I'm going to ask people who are actually good at it so I used to like send out these questionnaires to anybody that got on a podium you can look at like the 2009 entries of uh, cxhairs.com and it's just like these lists of questions that I, and you'll you'll recognize some of the names i mean even i'd go from like the kids on up and you know be like uh when did you make your winning move what did you have for breakfast you know all of these different things and that's that's kind of where it started just just uh, as as curiosity and then got to where you're in my basement now talking into expensive microphones but why why start this i mean i started this podcast kind of on a lark as a means of explaining the rule changes that happened to the Marble Road Cup. Thought that is that, a noble cause. So thought it was, thank you for your service. I thought it was a great idea. And then I was like, wait, I'm going to interview a couple Marlboro celebrities and let's see what they have to say. And then the next thing I knew, I, I knew one pro and I was like, I'm going to interview her. And then I got the big one, Brad Huff. He and Amp Human, they were a sponsor of Mabra. I said, hey, Brad, can we please talk about Amp and your PR lotion? And it didn't even take him half a second to say yes. And I've become so surprised and so shocked about how easy it is to get people to talk about themselves. Because, I mean, in the end, we're just guys who like bikes, and we want to talk to other men and women who like bikes as well. But why you? Why did you decide this was the thing that you wanted to do? I think part of it is in my other or my only at that time full-time job, I was uh, doing reporting on some sort of level. I mean, working for a legal publication or uh, legal publishing house and, and writing stories and doing some research and sort of had these skills of putting stories together and was doing it, you know, in the world of what we're very familiar with in Washington, D.C., uh, government contracting and procurement and acquisition. And it's like, that's not that exciting. So I was like, all right, well, let me just sort of use those skills and do it on something that I actually enjoy. So I sort of ported that over and was like bikes and, and specifically cyclocross. And that's, that's kind of why I started it. But to, 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 to answer your question of why, I didn't have any like grand scheme at that time. It just sort of developed over time and I kept building. And I, I come up, I think the thing is that, that I think that I'm okay at doing is coming up with an idea and following through with it, even if it sounds dumb or it sounds like it would take a lot of work and be like, all right, well, let's just see how this goes. And, and even if people say, oh, well, you're going to have to do A, B, C and D. I'm like, well, all right, I'll just see how I can do it and then just go and do stuff. And that's that's I think is the is the main reason how this how I sort of got to do all these things is you just kind of just go do the stuff. So how have things changed over time? Because CX hairs turned into Red Bull TV and Crosshair's YouTube channels and going to Europe and watching mountain bike World Cup races and reporting on them and, and becoming, you know, the guy. Well, I, I think there are a lot of the guys, but part of it is just it, it like anything, just making connections with people. And, and the, if you are halfway competent in 
what you do. You can take two people who have uh, the same skills in doing something, be it taking pictures or anything else. You could even take somebody who has lesser skills in that. But if you are better in the marketing side of it and not marketing as in I need to go like, you know, print out flyers and then buy ad time, but marketing as in saying, hey, you're Rob, I'm Bill. Nice to meet you. Um, And just having a conversation with people and making those connections and all of the sudden, you know, the manager for the Trek mountain biking team is like, hey, let's uh, go to Europe and you can work for the team and, and do that. And, and that, and that's, that's how it starts. And then from that, then people see what work you've done there and then you get other jobs. So I, I think it's really just having skills, but more on top of that, it's really just selling yourself and being willing to sell yourself. So where do you go from here? What's the future for Bill? Well, my whoop band tells me more sleep that I see you are in the same boat. Yes, I am. But I, I got this before the wide angle podium and whoop were yeah. together, but it's I am sad. I'm wearing it simply because the super rookie brought it up. <laughs> I had discontinued my U, whoop usage. And then I heard super rookie talking about it. And I was like, I got to get back on the train. Well, we at the wide angle podium network, we are, we are happy for, for you to do that. What was the question? What is the future for Bill? <laughs> Other than sleep, because I've, I've heard that sleep is a problem. I don't know what the future is. I have grand schemes and grand ideas. Right, right now, the future is uh, that cyclocross season starts in four days. And for the past couple seasons, I've been trying to build out this cyclocross television idea and sell people on a concept that instead of needing a simulcast, a, a live stream of the race while it happens. They, they are better off and they're going to get better quality if they get the worldwide sports version of that that comes out 24 or 48 hours later. That is not going to skip. You're not going to lose a connection, but you're going to get coverage and analysis and commentary on the race on a YouTube channel that hopefully looks good and is coherent and tells the story of the race. And we're starting that at GoCross this weekend, going to Rochester, doing the same thing the weekend after that. And, and, and that's it. And you know, it started with me running around like a crazy person with one camera, trying to cover a whole cyclocross race to this year, trying to expand it to more cameras and more coverage and, and, and building out that, that product. So that's what the immediate future looks like for me. So this weekend, this past weekend, because road season still is going on, at least for me it is, I was up at Electric City. Yeah. Incredible venue, uh, incredible race. It's definitely something that I was surprised and shocked by, but I got my official Lackawanna County Visitor Bureau pen. That's huge. But the best thing about it is this morning or yesterday morning, Julie Kalitza, one of the, the big wigs, at this event, sends me a video package to put up on the Mobber Facebook page. It's a highlight video of the men's and women's, and it's a highlight video of the overall. Yeah, Carlo crushed it. Incredible quality. Yeah. I absolutely adore it, and I'm going to put it up there as soon as I possibly can. Why is this the first time that I'm seeing something like that coming across my desk? Well, one of the reasons is, you know, I I mentioned Carlo and... Kicho and he does great work. I think that the um, it's finding money to pay for that. I think that one of the things that we can do now is that we can cover these events much cheaper than than you used to be able to. Uh, you know, th- th- it's what I tell people for live streams. You know, you need for a cyclocross race if you want to do it well. If you want something that people aren't going to be pissed off at you on Twitter, you need fifty thousand dollars. There aren't, that doesn't exist. That just doesn't exist. Why I was excited about, you know, the, what is it? The, the visitors oh, bureau, yeah, the visitor bureau pen that came visitor in bureaus are huge. If you can, if that's, that's, that's kind of the thing that you need to find. People are always like, we need money for a series. We need money for prizes. We need money for this. Well, the, the future of that is things like visitors bureaus. That's that, that this season, 
I'm going to rob, just be prepared. I'm going to go off on about a hundred different tangents here. I apologize in advance. What I learned by doing, by covering mountain biking in the U S which I hadn't done before i had seen european world cups which are awesome but i really really liked this summer because i was able to see these huge races in the u.s these uh, epic rides races that give away enormous purses it's like thirty thousand dollars a race that they're giving away and doubling that at their last one in arkansas and and a series purse on top of that and a fat tire crit purse on top of that and the reason that they can do it is they're doing it at destinations so Grand Junction is giving money, the city's giving money, the county's giving money because they want all those people there. Imagine that if you could have a bike race that people want you there. In the cyclocross world, that's just like alien to us. Everybody wants us not to be there, not to mess up their park, not to, you know, mess up their dog walking activities in the morning. But for these, they 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 want them there. And and that's that's kind of one of the things that is good to see that and is also is all part of this. It all revolves around bike racing at some point. That's what you're talking about starting your podcast was to explain rules to people. Well, in the end, you're like, how do we make this so it's viable? How do we make this so there's actually money in it? And I think that this getting visitor bureaus involved is a huge part of it because they have money to spend. They have a budget. And this is a way to get people from out of the state to show what awesome places they have to show off. So let's talk about the Wide Angle Podium Network. Okay. Um, huge fan of, of all the shows. You know, I'm, I'm partial to the Slow Ride podcast. That was my gateway drug into the, the Wide Angle Podium. It's a good one to have. But what, for those five people in Australia who don't know what the Wide Angle Podium Network is, who listen to this podcast, what is it? It, it is a a collection of awesomeness rob <laughs> it's it's really what we were trying to build it started out you know we'd love to get to the point it's a pod it, it started as a podcast network and that's that's mostly what we have i i i call it just a network at this point because what i do with the youtube channel what spencer how does with his youtube channel is is built into the network as well now so we're branching out beyond just podcasts into video as well we we'd love to be universal in that we have a new site you know also i don't know if you're familiar with the ringer podcast network that's uh bill simmons's network it's this multi-million dollar thing he's got like 50 employees they put out videos they put out everything that's kind of like the the gold standard you know some like gimlet something like that but that's a whole nother story but what i would tell those five people in australia first i would say hello I would call them cyclocross friends. I would say, hello, cyclocross friends. And it, even if they don't like cyclocross, they will soon. And, and then I would say that this is a network we've put together of these cycling-oriented shows that stress high quality, that stress good entertainment. And we're trying, we want it to be a community. We want people to enjoy the shows. We want them to give us feedback. And on top of that, we want them to have a stake in what we do. And part of that is setting up this NPR type membership structure. So we have a membership drive every year and we give them cool swag and, and, you know, and give them the bonus material and give them the opportunity to have a stake in what we are trying to create. You know, hopefully if I am in your ears for a couple hours a week and that uh, is something that you enjoy, uh, then hopefully you're, you're willing to give us a little something back in return. How much cross-pollination is there from life in the Peloton to Bike Shop CX to the consummate athlete? I think there's there. I think that it does work like that. I think that by by uh, talking about the other shows that we have, that people will get curious. And 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 the thing, especially since it is all cycling related now, I think that we are really seeing the cycling disciplines, all of them, starting to get closer and closer together. There was a time where 
road racing and cyclocross and mountain biking were just not even on separate islands. They were like on separate continents. But look at this year. Look at what happened this year specifically. You have two guys from the world of cyclocross that completely blew up road racing. You got Wout Van Aert and you got Matthew Vanderpoel. And everybody was like, holy cow, who are these people we've never heard of? What is this idiotic sport cyclocross that these kids do? Well, now they're all grown up and they're road racers. That's kind of the, the vibe that you got. But they got in there and they just crushed. And they were just winning races and animating races. And they looked like they came from nowhere. Well, you know, in the cyclocross world, we knew about them since they were 15 years old. You know, we, <laughs> they were always these stars. So what that did was, A, it brought a lot of people in cyclocross who wanted to feel like, oh, well, we know something you don't know, roadie guys, to over to watch more road racing. And, and hopefully the opposite will happen in that the road racers will be like, oh, well, everybody who races road now half jokes, but it's half serious about, well, maybe I have to go race cyclocross because that's going to help me be a better road racer. So they're going to be interested in that. And that, that pulls into like our shows because, like you said, Slow Ride Podcast, predominantly road with some cyclocross and their life in the Peloton, all road. But I think that people who enjoy other disciplines are starting to get interested in that. Going back to Vanderpool again, then you get a guy like that who starts showing, who goes and races mountain bikes. And the thing is that the mountain biking, you know, UCI is not dumb. As much as we want to put a lot on them for being dumb, they're not. And they realized, hey, if we start these short track races, this is something that can pull in people. It's not technical. It's not these long mountain biking races. It's fun. It's dynamic. It looks like a crit. It's only 25 minutes long. Perfect. You get this guy who's now a road star, Matthew Vanderpool, and he's racing on the mountain bike. So boom, all of these roadies are all of a sudden going, hey, I want to watch that. That looks pretty cool. Maybe they stick around and watch the cross country race too, because the cross country race of mountain bike used to be three hours long. Now it's an hour and a half. Now it looks a lot more like cyclocross. So the cyclocross are people are like, this is something I can relate to. They're doing seven laps. Nino Scherter and Matthew Vanderpool and and they're all like racing together. And I, I understand this. This is from my world. So in that way, all of these disciplines are like getting closer and closer together. So to answer your question, if you have these shows that seem like they're touching on different subjects, in the end, I think today is a great time to capitalize on that because that's when they're all sort of moving closer together and becoming something that everyone can understand. So our, our hope is that, that if you're listening to the consummate athlete and getting great, uh, you know, advice on, on training or even on bike packing or all this kind of stuff, then you're also going to be interested in how you fix that bike when you go over to bike shop CX. And then you're also going to be interested in the idiotic things they say on the slow ride podcast. And then you can, you know, come to my show and get some cool interviews too. Did you set out to be an authority on cross? No, no, but I like rules. I like looking at them. I mean, I, I, I like, uh, I like making sense of things. I like everything to be kind of logical. And then also it's just fun. I mean, it's just fun having these conversations about how things should work and maybe how they can be better and then getting yelled at that, you know, somebody else tried that 20 years ago and stopped trying to reinvent the wheel. And then you have to argue back that, you know, wheels get better. We've arrived at Chapter 2 of this episode, Chapter 2 on the media. Pausing for a moment of self-reflection, it's generally incumbent upon the media, whether it's the national news media, the bike racing media, the sports media as a whole, to remind itself that it does have influence. When you have people listening to you, when you have a microphone, you have the capacity to sway opinions. And not to get too Peter Parker with folks, but with that level of influence comes great responsibility. And the responsibility that somebody like Bill Shiken or another podcaster with a wide reach has, they have the capacity to push the conversation forward and to sway minds and to ultimately create the exposure that the sport needs for the coming future. 
about okay. the cycling media. Uh, is it fair to say that we are a part of it? Yeah, for sure. And cycling is a entertainment event. It is an entertainment industry. We are providing entertainment to people as bike racers. The weird thing is we're entertaining ourselves in a lot of cases as opposed to baseball or football or soccer, which seem to entertain the masses. But as a member of the cycling media conveying these stories and these messages, are we doing the right thing these days? Are we doing the right things in what sense? In the sense of, do we need to report the results? Do we need to talk more about the stories behind the people? I recently had an opportunity to interview Rasan Bahadi, um, and it's going to air in the second season, so you get to go before him. But I'm going to tell you, he said during the course of the interview, one of the things that needs to happen more is providing exposure to tell people of different groups what this world is like, you know, to show to the young African-American boy or girl in Compton, where he came from, what cycling can do for you, to take that message to Iowa and to talk to the young boy or girl on a farm in Iowa about bike racing and what it can do for you, kind of explore the story of the sport and create exposure for for people who would not necessarily get that exposure normally. So are you asking, is that our responsibility? First, is that our responsibility? And second, are we doing a good job? Getting those stories out there and, and making sure that those messages are available, especially for kids in those situations that may know nothing about cycling or m many other things is huge, for sure. And that's something that needs to be reported. Is it our responsibility to do that? That's a much more difficult question. Because I, the one thing, we all know that media is not what it as robust as it used to be in any sense as it was even five years ago, much more 10, 20 years ago. Uh, if we're going to just talk about cycling media specifically, when you ask me that question, I can emphatically say, yes, I am part of cycling media. 20 years ago, that'd be laughable for me to say that sitting in my basement. But 20 years ago, Velo News had a, a news office. Velo News has three people working for it now. They don't go to many events. They may post results. They do stories. They do the best job that they can. But they don't do the coverage that they used to because there's no money to do that. Why I say it's a more difficult question is everybody says, you need to cover this. You need to do that. And as crass as it sounds, you get to the point where you're like, well, who pays for that? Am I supposed to pay out of my own pocket to do that? There are things that I do, absolutely, because I enjoy them. But there are other things that I, I, I don't do because it costs me money. I mean, I, the, the reason I covered domestic mountain biking this year was because I had clients who were paying me to be at those events to cover them. And that gave me the opportunity to do, I was doing this series, Heat Check. Of, of mountain bike races where I would have, you know, power rankings and, and cover the races. And then I stopped. And people were like, well, why'd you stop? I was like, well, because I, it, was, it was a proof of concept. It was like, okay, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to try to solicit sponsors. If it's important enough, somebody will want to pay for it. It wasn't important enough. And at the end of the day, you know, it's a plane ticket and lodging and a rental car, and just my own hourly time to, to go and do this. And, and at some point, you have to say, no, that's not my responsibility. If you want this coverage, then somebody has to pay for it, or it's just not going to be there. So I don't think that it's the media's responsibility to cover everything. I think it's more of a it has to be a partnership between the cycling community, specifically in this instance, and we see it outside of cycling and the media 
to work with each other to make sure things get covered. And, and that just is paying the bills. So where do we go from here? We've got this somewhat startup community of podcasters, content creators, influencers who are selling the sport. And we've got a, an industry that's trying to survive, making bikes, making parts, making kit. You know, how do we bring these two entities closer together in this competitive world where cross, road, track, mountain bike, everybody's fighting for the same dollar? I, I'm smiling because you missed the one where all the dollars are going to. Oh, Lord, man, I wrote them all down. BMX, track, downhill, cross-road, mountain biking, gravel. The one you didn't write down. The one I did not write down, and, and that's a shame because I'm... I can I'm, tell you that I've had converse, a conversation with one of the largest bike-related companies, manufacturers, who were not interested in sponsoring cyclocross television but would have sponsored it in a heartbeat if I was covering gravel races. That's where I'm at. (laughs) I mean, I find it kind of funny because there's that Gary Fisher quote. I don't know if it's really Gary Fisher, but it's attributed to him. Does it say you don't get faster, it just gets harder? That's Greg LeMond. I thought that was Ben Franklin. Uh, It's entirely Mark Twain. It's Mark Twain. (laughs) Mark Twain. I actually brought that out with my wife on (laughs) Sunday when we were riding together. She's like, does it ever get easier going up this hill? And I was like, no, no. Did you notice that I turned it around to do the old age version of it? I did. Yeah. But I appreciate Mark Twain. Yeah. I really do. Uh, You know, coming from the Midwest, I'm a Mark Twain fan, whether I like it or not. It's kind of shoved down your throat, like being from Virginia in the Civil War. It's also shoved down your throat, apparently. I'm going to record you a long podcast. If I had more time, I'd record you a shorter one. (laughs) I'm missing that one. He once, Mark Twain once said that I wrote you a long letter. If I had more time, it would have been a short letter. Oh, I get it. The brevity of wit. Yes, and and just uh, being able to edit. Yes. So Gary Fisher says, everybody on a bike is a friend of mine. I recently went to uh, the Bicycle Hall of Fame in Davis, California. Initially, it was located in Somerville, New Jersey, but they moved it out to Davis, where it sits on the intersection of the first bike lane built in the United States. Not the first bike trail, not the first bike path, but the first bike lane built in the United States. It's open two days a week for three or four hours a day. So, you know, the Hall of Fame, not the bike lane. The Hall of Fame is open 24 hours, but the (laughs) Hall of Fame is only for a couple hours during the day. But you go in there and you, you see all these legends who've been inducted into the Hall of Fame, the old bikes, uh, the old jerseys, and you start to get the sense that bike racing was a bigger cultural event in the United States at one point in time in the past than it is right now. And then you see this picture that is called the Titans of sport. It's in the corner. There's a lot of dust on it. You got to like knock the dust off, but it's, it's Babe Ruth. It's Johnny Weissmuller, the original Tarzan and one of the first Olympic swimmers. And then it was a, an American track racer whose um, name was Frank Kramer. So you're putting a bike racer in the same picture as Babe Ruth, as the same picture as Tarzan. At that point in time in history, when Ty Cobb and Babe Ruth were playing baseball, bike racers were making the same amount of money as those guys were. I mean, Madison Square Garden is named after the Madison. It's a bike race. And the six-day events became popular in the United States, and they would sell out. These are six days of continuous racing that they would sell out for. Where in our history did we lose that? Well, we, I mean, history is, is, is cyclical, not even cyclical. It just, things just go out of fashion. I mean, the, the owners of the NFL are hand wringing now because they're not making the same amount of money that they were 
a few years ago. Uh, I, I I think in 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 bike racing, I mean, we're definitely seeing it on the road, and even if you look back five, six, seven years ago uh, at cyclocross, and everybody was like, "Oh, cyclocross! It's the biggest, greatest thing! Everybody loves it. We're going to be doing it forever. It's the future." And even at at that time, my my well worn quote or statement I would say to people is like if you think cyclocross is never going to decline go talk to a mountain biker from the 90s you know and and there was Norba and the mountain biking scene was huge and you were getting two three four hundred people out to bike we had mountain biking races in the mid-Atlantic go figure or Maryland and Virginia which don't really they're a couple but it doesn't really exist the same thing and it just went away and we're starting to see cyclocross. It's 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 plateaued and even starting to to go down a little bit. That's where you have to be careful, and I think that's where you have to be good shepherds of your own sport. And in road race, road racing has to figure out what it what it can do to to survive, what it can do to create interest and and bring in new racers because it's tough. I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough with more cars. It's tough with with riding on roads, you know, and you want parents who no longer want their kids in that situation. And that's when things like gravel racing, you know, grow up. That's things where Nika, you know, and mountain biking making a comeback start to grow. So where does it go? I don't know. I mean, I think bike racing is always going to be a, around in some form, but if, if it's going to be the same, I, I don't think so. I mean, just like you said, we're not doing six-day races anymore, even though the track's pretty cool. I don't understand it at all, though. I tried. I, I actually went up and I did the Try the Track yeah, clinic at, at, at T-Town. T-Town. Absolutely fabulous. I'm 100% glad that I went up and did it. I went and did a Masters and Rookies event at T-Town last year, and... I bet you it would have been a tremendously fun time, but for the fact that I spent seven hours in the car for 20 minutes of racing. And that kind of leads me to the next question, which is how do we push forward without crapping on each other? Because there's so much about bike racing where people seem to want to go after the other parts of bike racing. Hashtag crosses coming. That drives me nuts, not because I dislike cross. I think cross is awesome and it's fun and I've participated in it in the past. I'm not going to say I've raced in it. I've participated in cross in the past and I would do it again if I had a cross bike. But when you start saying cross is coming in April, you know, that's a direct dig at road racing. Or when you say Matthew Vanderpool, he's racing road now. Wout Van Aert, they're racing road. When are they going to give up on this cross nonsense? Or why are there no velodromes in the vast majority of the United States? We've got 10 billion soccer fields. Do we really need 30 soccer fields in Damascus, Maryland? Can we not have one velodrome there? But why is it so much of you versus us as opposed to we're all in this house together? How do we make it stronger? I I honestly think that part of the road racing communities animosity towards cross is really a frustration with the number of racers that aren't racing anymore and and part of part of that is we we see the same thing at cyclocross everybody thinks that cyclocross is this muddy cold december sport most people race cross when it's summer weather most people are going to start in the next couple of weeks and they're going to race to Thanksgiving and then they're going to hang it up for whatever reason. We start racing on the road in March. And by the time July comes around, people are burned out on it. So, I mean, part of it is we've taken away, I think what makes it special by making these seasons way too long. And then we have these international bodies that, don't do us any favors either. I mean, look, I, I, I think, and maybe it's just getting older, but I, I don't feel that tribal stuff anymore. I, I honestly, I, I love it all. I like following all of the disciplines, but here's my biggest frustration is that cyclocross is 
coming. In fact, it's here now. And I have a job in Roanoke this weekend and a job in Rochester next weekend that make it necessary for me not to be at another job that I would have at Mount St. Anne for the freaking world championships of mountain biking and in snowshoe for a world cup that I, I couldn't fathom just not going when I was just a fan. It's like, why wouldn't you go to these things? The world championship is in North America. You could drive there if you want. There's a world cup at snowshoe, you know, it's a horrible drive, but you know, you can go do that. Why wouldn't you do that yet? My obligation is to cyclocross because that season has already started and not just like, Hey, we're going to throw down a race, but these are UCI races. It's a C1 race. It's, it's a uh, uh, Rochester is a week before two world cups. You have to be there. So the international governing bodies aren't doing us any favors in putting that all on top of each other as well. And I understand at the end of the day, it's money. You know, I mean, they're not going to cut events if they make money. USA Cycling is not going to turn you down for having a UCI event if you meet all the requirements because they make money off of it. That's not a dig at them. That's just how it works. But I, I think that's part of it. So, you know, I, I don't I don't see crosses coming as like some sort of dig at, at road racing. I just see it as there are people who do that as their primary discipline and they get excited about the racing in the same way that I think people get excited about, you know, getting out of their basements and getting on the roads and racing road again. Lord knows I don't want to spend any additional time on a trainer. Yeah. Although in doing research for this story, I did find a great picture of Babe Ruth on a trainer. It's from the it's from Sports Illustrated's episode. Trainer or rollers? It no, it was a trainer. Really? It was a trainer. It looked like the precursor to an exercise bike. Yeah. It was great because he definitely skipped leg day a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Lindsay. Lindsay Goldman. <laughs> uh, I, I I I binged on the way to Scranton and from Scranton on Lindsay Goldman interviews. In the most recent update interview you you did, so back in May. On the dirt field. On the dirt field recordings. Yeah. At the end of that interview, you were having a conversation about money. And there was, there was my impression that you wanted to say so much more about the, not necessarily the obligation, but the, what we should be doing to broaden the scope of our reach when it comes down to money because this as we talked about earlier is an entertainment business we are providing entertainment we do not make anything there are no widgets there's no computers i I, I don't know about that don't you feel like we're making something right now in this yeah absolutely we're making hours of enjoyment yeah it doesn't have to be something physical i mean it goes into people's phones and they put it into their ears and it's pumping out air into their ear canals i mean that's that's something you've created but it's it's the purpose is to to entertain and to inform it's not to create an apple iphone oh no but i mean people make rubik's cubes too those are just made to entertain okay i i I will cede your point there (laughs) but you know one of the big topics that i've talked about in the past is trying to create a different funding system for bike racing because we seem to go after the same pots of money, the specialized track, Envy, Zip, Scratch Labs, that industry pot of money, and it's divvied up among all the disciplines, among all the teams, among all the players. How do we go beyond that at an elite amateur level, at an amateur level, so that we're getting the companies and the players who would not necessarily want to be a part of the sport because they see a direct ROI from it. Why do people sponsor marathons? I don't know why people run marathons. Yeah, I, I no, I, and I don't, this isn't a setup question. I'm just, I, I want to know what, what is the incentive for somebody to sponsor bike racing? I mean, historically, the incentive where you are successful is somebody owns a car dealership and races bikes and they then they don't mind uh, using some of that money to support cycling I, I, it just doesn't 
I, I don't, I, I, I want to know what the industry is that gets a return. Cause I, I don't, I don't think that's, that exists. And, and, and that's why if you're dealing with company, I mean, I know I, I deal with it just for the development team that I help run and other things. I mean, when you're looking at sponsors, you, they want deliverables. Uh, in a lot of instances, they have to do it just because they want to do it. And that's a horrible business model. I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of bring up the marathon too. And I think about triathlons and one of the things that, you know, they, they, they exist on is they charge a ton of money to do the events. So do we do that? But then where does that leave us? You know, it leaves us with just the people who can afford to pay the entry fees. So you price out all those young kids who would never get into the sport, but for the opportunity or the cat five, who's just like, I don't know. I have been riding my bike for a little while. I thought I'd try this. You know, a $50 race entry, which is where it's gone now, is getting up there in price. Yeah. I want $50 worth of, of a return for me if I'm going to invest it, which is why I'm not going to do any, um, you know, long mountain stage races, because that's just going to be a waste of my money. But I will continue to do things that bring me into downtowns. I will continue to go to DCX or DCCX. And to watch that, I, I, I will go to these events that are shorter, intense, encapsulated events. Is there an American way forward here? or Do we follow the European model? Well, I mean, the European model is that, you know, the reason you know, we can look at cyclocross again and the reason that it's successful in, in Belgium is that it's equivalent to a major sport. You know, you have Baobank, you have Corindon circus you 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 have all of these non-endemic cycling industries who are buying advertising on these teams that are then being shown on tv that a million people are watching in belgium that's why belgians don't care about anywhere else in the world because they've created this non-olympic sport that is successful that is on tv that people watch and bet on, which is hugely important. And therefore all of the advertisers get something in return. We don't have that. Nobody's paying to, to, to see our, our races on TV, especially our amateur races. Nobody cares about those. Why should they? It's, it's, uh, it's rec league softball. It's the same thing. Why people who want who are upset because a promoter isn't sending their local race results to Velo News. It's like, why? Enjoy it. Have fun at your race. That's what it should be about. It's not about garnering national attention unless you're going to be a national event. So all of that goes to say, I don't know, Rob, where does the money come from? Government grants? Alas, I simply don't know. It's not coming uh, from my trust fund. And, and that's that's kind of the reason. I mean, people get mad at uh, people who are racing on Zwift. People get mad at people who care more about Strava segments than they do about going to a race. We've all heard those angry rants about how that's killing cycling. But if it gives the people enjoyment, you got to figure out something you can't just yell at them and say that they're not doing it right because they're not, you know, enjoying competition or they're not enjoying being outside. Uh, you you got to find a way to, to sell it beyond that. Well, Bill, this has been a tremendously fun time. <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed myself. But I'm afraid if we continue any longer, we're never going to stop. It's possible. So thank you this so is, much. This is my third podcast today. I just <laughs> ramped up. <laughs> All the espresso in the world. Thanks so much for being on the show, Bill. Thank you very much, Rob. Thanks for joining us on another episode of No Training Wheels. In... Thinking back on the topic that Bill and I left off on, I really think solidly that I was wrong. 
When it comes down to bike racing and to sponsoring bike racing, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be all about return on investment for the sponsors. And the sport is more than about entertainment. And even if it was just only about entertainment, there's nothing wrong with that. And the honest truth is that I had to have somebody else open my eyes up about this because for centuries there have been people who have been patrons of things like sports or the arts, uh, opera, music, whatever it happens to be. And there was really no return on investment to the Medici's when they began sponsoring Florentine artists like Michelangelo. But history has proven that the value that that sponsorship and those patronage gave to society as a whole was 100-fold on the actual dollar number investment. As with almost anything else in life, the motivations for people can't be easily categorized into just one pot or another. And we have to realize that people are doing things like sponsoring clubs, races, athletes because of different reasons and we have to value those different reasons each to their own extent and all across the board i want to thank again uh bill for being on the show and for helping to uh educate me in so many different ways this week special thanks to our executive producer this week tiffany hinkle and to obviously professor bruce berglund for constantly reminding me 20 years ago of the value of history and uh, reinforcing some of those lessons again and again and again so that I can provide little tidbits about the Medici's or to the fans of No Training Wheels. Uh, Remember to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Please visit the website, notrainingwheelspodcast.com. We have one more great episode left in this inaugural season of No Training Wheels. Please stop by soon when we get uh, Justin Williams of Legion of LA in the studio to talk about the magical year that he and his team have had. Until next time, see you at MacArthur Boulevard.